It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Leadership Traditionally, when we think about leadership, we think about leading downwards, that we're somewhere on the org chart, we're somewhere on the food chain, we're somewhere in our family uh, lineage, that leadership is one-dimensional, that it's about leading down. This model zooms out and says, no, it, is, it does include that, leading down, but it adds a perspective that we can be people that God would use to lead across, Family members that we don't have any, you know, authority over, but we can influence them. Colleagues, neighbours, fellow students. Also, this one's like scary, but like it can happen, that we can actually lead up, that we can actually influence those that are so-called higher up than us in leadership. And we're going to keep drilling into this concept with God calling us to grow in our influence, grow in our sphere of influence. This, this series really speaks to the guy or the girl in the middle, which John Maxwell says self-leadership, our ability to lead the person in the mirror well, is 50% of 360-degree leadership. In other words, if we don't learn, learn to lead ourselves well, we will actually forfeit the opportunity to lead and influence any or all of the other spheres well. And this... Deal, when we get triggered with any, any of these emotions that we're talking about, we literally are faced with two options in terms of our next move. One is to react. Now, to react is to allow the emotion to take charge. The other option is to respond. Respond says, I'm not going to let the emotion take charge. I'm going to stay in control. I'm going to manage this. I'm not going to deny the reality of what happened, but I'm going to I'm going to stay in control here. And that's a response. You know, when I talked a couple of weeks ago about managing anger, I said one of the things, one of the skills you might need to learn is learn how to slow down your reaction time. Slow down your response. Say to the person that triggered you, "I'm just going to step away for a moment," and that moment might be a week. Until, until the emotions aren't so, so front and center that you can't even cut through to address the specifics without making things worse. It's a question of who's in charge. Now, week one, I mentioned I talked about managing anger. Bruce Banner has no control over the big green man. Bruce Banner will say to you, don't make me angry you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. But the second he gets angry, the big green man just comes out. He has no control over hulking out. The difference between Bruce Banner and you is that you do have control over hulking out or not when you're triggered. Stevie Hall talked about managing worry last week. And look, we all worry at some level. But he made this point that, that, that worry is carrying two days at once. It's carrying today's burdens and also carrying tomorrow's, many of which we have no control over. Um, next week, our good friend Robbie Mason is going to talk, uh, teach on managing fear. Um, and I know that's going to be super helpful. And he's, he's got his own story around that to share as well. I'd say, by the way, his books are available at our resource corner. But last week, they all sold out. 
So I might even be able to convince him to bring some more in and give them away, one for everyone. No, 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 no. All the profits from the sale of Rob's books go to feed starving children, uh, his. So uh, <laughs> actually grandchildren, he just announced he's going to become a granddad. So oh, don't tell him I said that. We'll leave that for him next week. No spoilers, please. Next week when Rob's speaking and he says, hey, guess what? I'm about to be a granddad. You'll say, oh my God, we're so shocked. We never knew that. He put it on Facebook. Sorry. Genie's out of the bottle. Today I want to teach on managing hurt. And this can be a heavy and a weighty subject. And I, I guess that's okay in a trusted, safe space. And, and I know that we are. So uh, I'm going to teach on it. And I'm aware that this might actually kind of poke the wounds a little bit. And that's, again, that's okay. Um, but it's not going to be a counseling session either. Uh, I'm going to share in a moment about some of my hurts. Uh, one of the things we teach preachers is don't preach about your open wounds. Preach about scars. So I'm going to share some scars uh, shortly. But all of us have experienced hurt at some level. You know, like, and, and, and hurt, it's like a range of hurt. Down the one end of the range is minor hurt. For example, you watch Tenet, and at the end of it, you just found yourself incredibly confused and you're hurt by the fact that Christopher Nolan has just stolen two and a half hours of your life that you'll never get back. It's, it's hurtful. And I understand that. It's hurtful. Not much you can do about that except take my advice. Don't watch Tenet. Uh, but down the other end are major hurts. Major hurts, some of which some of you may have gone through recently or in your past. Things like a loss of job, the betrayal of a friend, the death of a family member, maybe the implosion of a relationship. And even these words that preface the circumstance are a little clue to why these things matter so much. Loss of a job, death of a family member, Betrayal of a friend, implosion of a relationship, loss, betrayal, death, implosion. These things cause hurt. These things cause wounds, open wounds. The worst thing that we can do if and when we experience hurt that causes open wounds, the worst thing we can do is just ignore it. Because the problem with open wounds is you will, if you ignore the open wounds, you will start living out of your pain. You, your open wounds will start to bleed metaphorically and literally into other spheres of your life and, and eventually take over to where everything you look at, you look through the lens of cynicism and mistrust and hopelessness. So it's vital when you have open wounds to present them to God to actually ask Him to heal them. And uh, I'm speaking from experience here. Uh, 12 years ago, some of you know this, so apologies if I'm looping back, but this is probably my, one of my most uh, painful experiences, one of the things that hurt me the most. Uh, 12 years ago, uh, Louisa, my wife and I, uh, we went, we moved into state to take on the leadership of a church, and we went all in. That's our kind of 
MO for following Jesus, all in. So we went all in. We sold our house here. We bought a house there, bought a one-way ticket, shipped everything over, new, new friendships, new opportunities, new church, new job, everything. everything. No plan B. And uh, 12 months in to me leading this particular church, the board fired me. So uh, that wasn't on the plan uh, 12 months previous. And um, that was pretty painful in and of itself. Just, I mean, anybody that's ever lost a job. Uh, and, and by the way, it wasn't because I was, you know, sleeping with a secretary or anything. They just, they, they, we didn't even have a secretary. Uh, I was a secretary, so technically I was sleeping with a secretary. But uh, anyway, gee, this is getting very, very messy all of a sudden. Um, now they, the board just, like they said that, that, that they didn't, uh, after 12 months, didn't think the direction that I was leading was the one that they wanted the church to go in. Okay, you know, I mean, you can arm wrestle over that, but that's what it was. And, uh, but I soon learned that the board had been meeting with the former senior pastor uh, for the last nine months, every couple of weeks on a Tuesday night for dinner, which sounds harmless enough, but I learned that I was on the menu. Um, and they were eating me alive every two weeks in, with this former senior pastor who no longer even attended the church. Um, and that they had then gone to meet with the head of the, the, the denomination that the church was a part of, and he was there when I was fired. Uh, nobody asked us any questions outside of the story, so to speak, and it all happened within like 48 hours. And yeah, so we were interstate. We had no friends there because any of the friends we made were typically from the church, um, we'd bought a home near the church building, like literally uh, walking distance. And so that wasn't going to be such a convenience anymore. Um, and, you know, the list went on. Um, and again, this isn't a counseling session, but coming out of that, like straight away, the range of emotions that I felt pointed to open wounds. You know, I felt betrayal. I mean, this the board, as much as they were had been meeting in this other guy's home every two weeks. They were meeting in our home every two weeks. I didn't know we were alternating weeks. And we shared meals with them. And we shared some of our dreams and hopes and fears and, you know, with them and, and felt betrayal. We felt disappointment. Disappointment, could we have done things differently? Could they have done things differently? God, did you bring us here just to set us up for failure? Disappointment. Um, anger, to be honest, as well. Nobody likes that, you know. Like, how dare you? How dare you? Like, who treats anybody like this? Especially church people. Aren't we on the same team? We're in the same church, but, you know, frustration, loss of hope, you know, uh, went all in. Now, interstate, weren't planning on staying there because uh, we only went there for the jobs. But what's next? Is, is something next? You know, and, and if so, where and how? Anyway, the list goes on. And I'm sharing this because I... Pretty sure some of you can relate. And your hurt might have been a loss of job, but it could have been a, a loss of a family member, a loss of an opportunity, a loss of financial situation, loss of a relationship, and, or any of these things that cause open wounds. The best thing I can do this morning is show you how Jesus responds to these sorts of situations. Uh, Jesus was no stranger to emotions. In, in fact, if you, when you read or if you read the four biographies of Jesus' public life, uh, 
you'll find that he expressed, it's recorded as having expressed 39 separate emotions. I didn't even know there was 39 separate emotions until I married an Italian. And now over a one hour Sunday lunch, you will experience 39 different emotions. So I get it now, I get it. So how about if you got your Bible app or your Bible, um, pop it over to Luke chapter seven. This is one of the biographers of Jesus' public life, Luke chapter seven. And I'm gonna drop us into a slice of history where Jesus had just finished teaching probably his most famous uh, teaching. We, we call it sort of affectionately call it now the Sermon on the Mount. And he just finished that and there was a ton of people with him. And now he was moving on, moving on to other towns and villages to keep uh, growing the kingdom. His closest 12 went with him and a crowd followed as well. Like Jesus was kind of becoming a rock star. As I said, just preached his greatest hit and uh, want to pick it up from there. Not long after that, Jesus went to the village Nain. His disciples were with him along with quite a large crowd. Now, as they approached the village gate, they met a funeral procession. A woman's only son was being carried out for burial and the mother was a widow. When Jesus saw her, his heart broke. So Luke drops us into this slice in history where Jesus comes across someone who's already lost her husband and now she's mourning the fact that she's lost her only son and, 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 and likely because they didn't have you know, modern uh, refrigeration or body preserving uh, techniques, this would likely have been the very next day for her after her son passed. We don't know why he, he died or whatever, but there's a woman who's already lost her husband, now lost her son. I think it's fair to say that this mother would have had some very fresh, very open wounds. And Luke makes the point that when Jesus saw her, his heart broke. Which at face value sounds like a pretty odd thing to write when Jesus saw her, because probably Jesus saw everybody. It was kind of his job. Saw everyone. But 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 Luke's making the point that amidst amongst this uh, chaos and confusion and hurt and pain and sorrow, Jesus zeroed in on the mom. Jesus zeroed in on the one who was almost certainly hurting the most. And his heart broke. <clears throat> See, Jesus' heart breaks when your heart breaks. Jesus notices. He sees. It matters to him. You become his priority in the wake of the thing that hurts you. We might feel discarded or, or devalued in the wake of the hurt, but Jesus actually says, in this moment, you are the most important thing on my agenda. I've just bumped you to the top of the list in this moment of hurt. Now, where it says, where, where and this is in the message version, they write it as his heart broke, which I like. I mean, that's why I chose this. But other translations use the expression, Jesus was filled with compassion. 
which is I don't like as much as this. <laughs> because when we say he was filled with compassion, and then we see the picture of Jesus up on the wall holding a little lamb, it's like it just seems a little too blah. Jesus saw the woman and he was a little perturbed. Jesus saw the mother and he was momentarily taken aback, slightly. <laughs> but actually, even when we read the phrase, this very same phrase that the message says that Jesus' heart broke, when we read that as he was filled with compassion, this word compassion is translated like a gut-wrenching response, like from the very pit of his stomach, from the very core of his being, from the deepest recesses of who he is, Jesus, it, it evoked a response in him. It evoked something in him that was the deepest, most, most profound thing he could feel towards that woman in that moment. And whenever we read about Jesus has been recorded as being filled with compassion, as having had this gut-wrenching, being this evocative response from within, he always did something about it. And it was more than just thoughts and prayers. He got busy. And when he got busy, he changed the game. And this was no exception. Jesus said to the mother, don't cry, which is like, that is the worst, most insensitive thing anyone could say in that moment. Don't cry. Easy for you to say, mate. It's not your son. Right? Oh, read the Bible. Oh, Jesus said, don't cry. She, I mean, come on now. Think about it. Jesus, if you weren't Jesus... <laughs> then he went over and touched the coffin and the pallbearers stopped. Now, this isn't a Marina Perslow funeral setting here. This isn't a nice wooden coffin with ornate trim. In those days, it was probably like a, a, just a pallet with maybe wheels, maybe not, and Potentially the body was even exposed and just, so, just some guys carrying it out in the open. And the Jewish culture back then, the religious system back then, believed that if anybody touched a dead person, that that person would instantly be rendered ceremonially unclean. Or, or the system even went so far as to say, if you touch something or someone who has touched a dead body that even then once removed, you are still rendered in that moment ceremonially unclean. And so here we have the guy that's just preached the Sermon on the Mount, who's got a crowd following him. He's a rabbi in the Jewish faith and he walks up and touches the coffin. Of course the pallbearers stopped. This was a double TH moment for them. I said WTH people moment for them because you just don't do this. Jesus, you right now, my friend, have crossed the line. Do, do you understand the implications of this, Jesus? 
You just touched the coffin. But here's something that I love in this, in this exact moment in history. See, here's the thing about religion. Religion draws up nice, neat lines and says to us, stay inside the lines, be predictable, don't draw outside the lines because we want to be able to control you. And if you stay inside the lines, stay on your mat, then we can control you and you're not going to change the world, but you're not going to bother us either. Does anyone hate religion? Yeah, me too. Okay, five people hate religion too. Well, it's not just five, it's six. It's Jesus. He hates religion as well. So religion sets up lines, Jesus crosses lines. Religion is about doing things right. Jesus is about doing the right thing. So in this moment, everyone's telling him, you are doing the wrong thing. And he's like, wait on just a second, because this is not my final act here. He said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead son sat up and began talking and Jesus presented him to his mother. It's tempting for a preacher in this exact moment in this message, it's tempting for me to start banging on about how one touch from Jesus can heal all your hurts and you can leave here a different person. Which, by the way, I believe that. I, I, I do believe that. And in, and in fact, if that's how Jesus chooses to heal your open wounds, then, man, climb up on the roof and tell the world about it. Because that's pretty awesome. And he did it here. So he can and he does. But it's not his only way. See, sometimes Jesus heals by event. And sometimes Jesus heals by process. Either way, either way, Jesus is all about healing. And we need to get into his presence. We need to get close to him. And we need to potentially get close to the people that he uses to heal our open wounds. Um, so that we don't live with open wounds. So that we don't live managed by our hurt and our pain. And if we do, and if we can, and understand it could take time, that, that, that Jesus actually promises us and presents us always with a next chapter. Because you know this and I know this, one of the things about major pain is, is in the moment or in the wake of that, it's easy for us to conclude that that's the final chapter, that hope is lost, that, that I gave it my best shot and it didn't work out, so I guess that that's it, the end of the road, I'm done. And yet Jesus always holds hope alive and says, even though you've been hurt, there is a next chapter. And by the way, the next chapter is many times actually connected to the hurt. That, that Jesus healed with the scars to prove it, to then allow us to, to be used by Him to be an instrument of, of hope and healing into other people who have experienced or are experiencing the sort of hurts that we've experienced. You know, for me, I, I love, I mean, I wouldn't be here with the privilege of leading Elevate Church if I was still in that other church setting. So 
here I am. Thank God. Love it. Woo! Come on. So, there you go. There's that. But here's the other thing. Two things, actually. Uh, <clears throat> whenever I hear of uh, any of my church-leading friends around the world that, that gets their tie caught in the shredder of their church, uh, I am on them. I am on them. I, I mean, I'm talking like the second I hear about it, I'm on them. I'm like, dude, girl, whoever, I just heard about, you got your tie caught in the shredder. Uh, there's another expression I sometimes used. Uh, I say, you, get, you got screwed with your pants on, but sometimes that's just an inappropriate thing to say. So I never say that publicly. Um, but anyway, in a text message, I might say that to them. And, uh, and, I, say, and I say to them, what can I do? What can I, like you tell me, what can I do? There was a time if it was flying to them, I'd fly to them, drive to them, whatever. But what can I do? How can I, how can I just help you in that moment? And sometimes they just say nothing, you know, nothing, but, but boy, I really appreciate you making me a priority in that moment. And, and, and I, but often I get to get, to get with them in some way, shape or form and, and share my story. And I get to show them my scar. They're sitting there with open wounds, wondering if they're ever going to be healed. And I get to show them my scars. And they say, ah, oh, well, that's encouraging. I talk about the next chapter. I talk about new opportunities, not to brag, but to, to, to give them some hope. And I wouldn't be able to do that if them getting their tie caught in the shredder was just a theoretical notion for me. I mean, when I, when I got fired, I had to phone our bank that we had a mortgage on the house over and say, can, you, can we take a payment, they call it a payment holiday from, from the bank? And you have to explain to them what your circumstances are. And I said, well, I just got fired from my job. What was the job? Leading a church. And the, the guy on the customer service end, he goes, what? That's a thing? I'm like, well, apparently... <laughs> First for me, but yeah, apparently. He's like, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church. I never thought that people are allowed to fire the pastor. I'm like, well, now you know. But, uh, <laughs> but if it was just theory, I, I wouldn't have the, the, like the, 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 the power of my story wouldn't be as powerful and as encouraging. And that's true for you as well. De-churched people are my other uh, best play. Uh, because after we got blown out of the water of that church, we spent six, 12 months um, not totally flipping the bird at the church, but, but, but just saying, you know what? If we roll into a church, if, again, if, uh, it's not, it's not going to be a rush and, and it's not going to be in the front row. Um, and uh, we're just going to take our time. And we took 12 months just to, just to get up enough trust and courage to think, okay, okay maybe, maybe. And so, so we, we drove to a church. We moved back to Perth by that stage. We drove to a church 45 minutes from our house just to ensure we didn't see anyone we knew. And uh, it was Easter Sunday, so we felt, we felt compelled to go to church. Um, and we sat in the back row and we arrived late and left early. And that was our first dipping our toe back in the water of church because we'd been blown out of the water by some church people. And, and so whenever I, particularly here at Elevate, whenever I meet someone who's a de-churched person and they've walked in the doors here and it's their, it's their uh, 
first time taking a risk of dipping their toes back in the water. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, I will, like Jesus saw them, I will see them. As soon as I hear that, and I will sit and I'll say, listen, just so you know, here, we're not perfect, no, none of us are, but we will not judge you for your story of why you were de-churched. In fact, if anything, I hope you feel that we're a safe place for you to dip your toes back in the water. But that wouldn't be our story if we hadn't gone through the hurt and the healing and have the scars to prove it. So let me tell you how things shook out in that moment. By, by, before I do, just, yeah, don't go to the next one, please, Johnny, just yet. Just, just before I do, let me, let me just acknowledge, if you, are, if you do currently have open wounds, then this vision that I've just cast of being used by God to help others, it, it's probably too soon. And that's okay, right? Like there's a reason that when we used to fly, that the, stu- the, the, the cabin crew would say, in the event of an emergency and the oxygen masks drop, put yours on first before helping others. The same is true in the healing journey, that, that, that whilst you have open wounds, it's probably not your best priority to be looking for other people you can help. It's actually very appropriate for you to insert yourself into a place of healing, but, but have it as a long-term goal. Have it as something that, God, I'd love for you to repurpose this pain I'm feeling right now one day. And, and, and let him do that. Well, this is what happened in that setting, in that moment. They all realized they were in a place of holy mystery and that God was working among them. Yeah, you think? They were quietly worshipful, but not for long. And then, oh yeah, the religious people aren't here. So we can be noisily grateful. We can color outside the lines. We can sing above 23 decibels and have an electric piano. (laughs) Calling out among themselves, God is back, baby. Looking, looking, looking to, not over, to the needs of his people. And the news of Jesus spread all through the country. How good is that? We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.